Good morning, family. I say good morning, family. God is good. And all the time. Hallelujah. The Sunday school at this time can be discharged. Dismissed. It can be evacuated. Amen. <laughs> Some believe that great one day there's going to be another great evacuation. <laughs> amen and amen. So excited to I'm so excited to be in the presence of the Lord. Uh, I'm excited for this morning's meeting and uh, I have a lot to share in my heart but I'm going to be brief because I understand we are welcoming a few friends and family uh, into the vision of rebirth and I'm going to do my best to be very brief this morning I know my wife is my timekeeper so if anything goes wrong you know who to blame <laughs> you see my phone uh, Dean can you just pass my phone in please amen I love the words of that song uh, we sang earlier. Uh, if you came late, you missed, you missed that hook. Hell lost another one. I am free. Amen. Man, if I could sing, I'd belt it out now. There were some Sundays I took a chance. <laughs> but I think I just, that's out of my range, babe. But hell lost another one. I am free. What beautiful words. It reminded me of a passage in Zechariah where the Lord rebuked Satan. And he said, I am, I am over Jerusalem. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Are you not a brand plucked from the fire this morning? Hell lost out. Amen. Can we open up in prayer? This morning we're sharing on vision and partnership. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your presence. We love being in your presence. We say like David, we echo his words. And we'd rather be a doorkeeper in your house in a thousand places elsewhere where can we go from your spirit where can we hide from your presence if we ascend to the heavens you are there if we descend into Sheol you are there still if we take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea even there your hand will guide us we love your presence because in your presence there's fullness of joy and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Speak to our hearts this morning, Lord. Confront us, challenge us, change us. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We want to put on the mind of Christ. We don't only want to be hearers of your word. We want to be doers also. So anoint these lips of clay that I speak as an oracle of God this morning. Lord, help my heart to be pure. Use my lips, use my words, that Bevan may disappear and Christ appear. And he who has an ear to hear, hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the churches. And the church of God says, Amen and Amen. I'm looking forward to Clinton and Dean jumping into the baptism waters end of the month. <laughs> I'm just kidding, guys. Your knees are buckling already. <laughs> you know, there's, uh, I'm quite sure if you go back in church history, part of the reason why infant baptism got introduced was because in places like Canada and, and Greenland and Antarctica, when someone came to the faith, they avoided the plunge. 
<laughs> I said, no, 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 I don't want to remember. Just when I'm a baby, when we have kids, just baptize them, finish and clear. First Corinthians chapter 12, if you're there. And when you're there, please give me an amen. First Corinthians chapter 12, and we're just going to need one verse for you. Verse 27. If you are seeing Deuteronomy and Exodus, please come see me after the service so we can lay hands on you. Because you need prayer, my sister. <laughs> the only help you're going to get is that it's on page 1,321 in my book, in my Bible. <laughs> Amen. We all there? Amen. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. For many years and, and decades, theologians have divided uh, the church into two parts. We've divided the church into the church universal and the church local. And sometimes when we refer to the church uh, universal, we refer to the local church. We see this in Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus brings his disciples to a place and region called Caesarea Philippi. And they get to this region where it was believed the gates of hell existed in a cave. They worshiped the false god, pagan god, uh, Pan. And so many believed who were superstitious and, and, and extreme in their, in their theology. They believed that the actual gates of hell existed there. So Jesus brings his disciples there to the region. And Peter has this revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the one who was prophesied and foretold about. And he has this revelation and Jesus says, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You know, blessed are you, Simon, son of Barjona. And then he goes on to make this statement and he says that upon this rock, not referring to Peter, but referring to the truth that he is the Christ. He says, upon this rock, upon this truth, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When he used the term church, it's reference for the first time. It's the Greek word ecclesia. The etymology of the word or the study and history of the word refers to a time in ancient Greek, Greece when the officials would, would call for a public meeting and they would call the assembly out. They would call the community out. And the community would come out to decide on important matters in the community whether they were voting, 
whether they were deciding on military tactics or whether they were appointing magistrates and, and leaders of the community. So the ecclesia refers to the called out ones, the called out assembly, those who are called out to official business. Two chapters later, Jesus makes another reference to the Ecclesia. And he goes on to speak about sin that is not resolved in your life. And he says, you take the matter to the church. If step A, B, C, and D did not work, you take it to the local church, the assembly, the Ecclesia. And so the church was used to refer to the universal church, the church that is past, present, and future and that is based all across the world and in Matthew chapter 18 Ecclesia refers also to the local geographical church 114 times this reference Ecclesia is mentioned in the New Testament Ecclesia tells us very simply that the church is not a building the church refers to the called out ones. Those who have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. The Ecclesia also tells us that the church is not an individual. And I'm here to confess that I have made that infamous statement time and time again when I avoid the church. Yeah. I said, I am the church. It took me years to realize that that is the most absurd statement that ever came out of my mouth. How can the steering wheel be the car? How can the engine be the car? You are part of the church. You do not represent the whole. That is such an arrogant statement. The Ecclesia refers to the community and collective. Man, imagine if you were the church. We'd all have to run up for healing, for leadership, for advice. You, you would have to travel across the world, be everywhere, every time. <laughs> you cannot be the whole. You represent a part of the Ecclesia. Yeah. We've often undermined in these times the local church, the value and the place of the local church. Many have cast a shadow on the church, justified in some places and parts because we've seen the abuse of leadership and sometimes uh, worse than the absence of leadership is the abuse of leadership. And we've seen many become disgruntled, develop a distaste in the local church. But I'm here to remind you that in spite of the abuses, God's plan for the world still involves the local church. Still involves the local church. Never allow the counterfeit 200 rand note, the, the chance and right, or, or the, never allow the counterfeit to discount the legitimate. Yeah. Never throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Like someone would often say to me, hey, everyone's a prophet now. And when I mention a genuine prophet, I say, hey, do you know prophets? I say, hey, no, I don't believe in prophets. I say, but do you believe in the scriptures? Say, yes, I believe in the scriptures. Do you believe in the fivefold ministry? Yes, I believe in the five. Then what's the problem with believing in a genuine fivefold 
prophet and apostle. And so we, we have these issues we have to resolve. <laughs> we have a lot to get through as individuals, a lot of shifting of our paradigm. One thing I've noticed in this age, I think since COVID, and it was kind of ironic that the Lord would release us during COVID to, to plant the ministry, is that the world and the church in general, or parts of the church, let me not generalize, has become very non-committal. Non -com Nobody wants to commit, or if they do, it's with no strings attached, yeah. you know? Like Clinton mentioned last week, I had a good laugh. He says, don't date the church. <laughs> don't date the local church. You know, marry the church. Don't be afraid of commitment. The church and local church is still the pillar and foundation of the truth. That's in 1 Timothy. Okay. The church is the uphold of the truth. If there were no local church, you'd have no Bible. Think of it. The New Testament, every gospel, every epistle and letter was written to be circulated to the local churches. The church of Corinth, the church at Rome, the church at Galatia, Ephesus. In fact, we would not even have the book of Revelation without the local church because it opens up with an address to the seven churches of Asia Minor. That's the importance and value of the local church. You cannot have God as your father and not have the church as your mother. You are part and parcel. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you are part and parcel of the church whether you like it or not. And so we encourage everyone to don't be disjointed. Don't be a member disjointed from the church. Now the local church forms and comprises in such a way that it represents and expresses the universal church. The local church is an expression of the universal church, the church at large. In other words, the local church is to represent and appear and function as part or in a manner that the universal church should ought to function. Why partner and why connect to the church or to a local church? Firstly, last time I made a statement uh, to, to a brother, <laughs> it almost ended up in a debate. But I'm going to say this, you cannot grow the way God wants you to grow in isolation. God is all for community. God is all for the community of faith. There may be people here that have a grace of God on their life. That is your point of breakthrough. There's some gifted here with the gift of preaching, with the gift of prophecy. There's some gifted here with the gifts of healing. 
there's some that have the gift of encouragement and compassion. One of the most peculiar gifts in this ministry, if you haven't been here long enough, is the gift that Sister Bernice has. She has this uncanny ability to put her heart into crunches. I promise it's a ministry. You can ask, you can ask, it's a ministry. They, they send crunches to, to people with, as the Lord leads. It's the weirdest gift. <laughs> but God uses Bernice to send crunches. Now I'm saying whatever your gift is, coming together as an assembly just means that there's strength in numbers. I would never have given my old clothes away had we not assembled here and Clinton said, I got an idea. Let's take out all our clo old clothes, clothes that we're not wearing. Uh, the ladies were still holding on to their size 28 jeans. <laughs> Some of those, they still have this hope that it's going to fit. <laughs> but we would have, I would have never responded in such a way had there not been this collective call for action. That's the power of the local church. Our power is in numbers. It's in numbers. You take a piece of coal that's on fire or that's lit and you separate it from the rest of the coal, it will die. Coming together in such a fashion, some don't see that it's necessary, but coming together in such a fashion means that we get to sharpen each other, we get to encourage each other in this mutual faith. So you cannot grow the way God wants you to grow without being part of the larger community of faith. There is a different kind of presence of God, a corporate kind of presence of God, when we come together. I promise you. This is seen in the time when Solomon is dedicating the temple uh, unto the Lord. And he builds this beautiful edifice. David was longing to build something for the Lord, that he may house the presence of God. But God said, no, David, you are a man of war. You've got blood on your hands. Your son will, will build me a house. And Solomon built this beautiful temple, still praised up to today. Such a beautiful temple that when it was destroyed and another temple was built in its place, the people wept. And they said, it's not like the former glory. And as the priests and Levites were worshipping before the Lord, the presence of God came down in such a way that the priests fell on the floor and could not get up. And I've been in meetings of the meetings where the presence of God is so tangible, in the house of God, where I could not even move. I've been in corporate meetings where the power of God has hit so strong, everybody's slain in the spirit people get healed gold dust and diamonds are falling into people's pockets lord if you're hearing me please do it a few diamonds in my pocket <laughs> i've been in in meetings where i'm standing next to a friend who is totally deaf in the one ear his ear pops right next to me he starts screaming and shouting and, and rejoicing because the presence of god was was in such a tangible way been in meetings where people just cried and cried and we went to a seven o'clock meeting in the East Rand and the Prince of God came in such a fashion. It's yeah, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, nobody's leaving. 
No one left the building. Because when we come together as, as a sign of, it's a symbol and expression of our unity and diversity, it pleases the heart of God. Bible says that the wine is in the cluster of the grapes. So if you enjoy a glass of wine, you're not going to get it from a grape. It's in the cluster. I'm not encouraging anybody for those Cape Town wine <laughs> testing. <laughs> but I'm saying there's power in unity. Acts chapter 2. A hundred and twenty disciples assembled together corporately. Men, women assembled together corporately. 120. And according to Jewish law, they required 120 people of the Sanhedrin to establish the temple. And so God said, I'm going to establish my church. And I'm going to collect for me 120 disciples in the upper room. And they prayed and they were in unity and they were of one heart and mind. And the Holy Ghost came. Where two or three are gathered in my name. There I am in the midst. There's been times where God encounters me privately. And you know this. Personally in your own time. In your own prayer closet. God meets with you. But he doesn't meet with you the same. You need to have both kinds of expressions in your walk of faith. We need to connect to the church because connecting to the church means it's an opportunity to serve and express your gifts. I didn't even knew Dean could play the bass. It took him a few months. Had he not connected to the church, he would not have an opportunity to see what's inside of him. When I met Zoey, all she was singing was Tevin Campbell and <laughs> Kevin Campbell and what's this, what's this other group? <laughs> I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, I'm pulling a leg. She used to sing, she used to sing yeah and there somewhere. And she was, uh, she was, she used to sing a backup. And I'm like, no, come, come forward, Lazarus, come forward. Come forward. And uh, don't you think she does a good job? Yeah. <laughs> she does a good job. Yeah. But I'm saying, connecting to a local church gives you the opportunity to exercise your gifts and see what God has deposited inside of you. Right now, there's about three or four people, I know Dwayne's, one of them, Clinton's, one of them, that have incredible prophetic gifts. And one day, yeah, laugh, laugh, Dwayne, one day, <laughs> one day, I'm going to put you to the test. <laughs> we'll put you to the test. But I'm saying, don't rob the body of Christ and don't rob the world of the gift that is inside of you. Yeah. Connecting to a local church helps you to discover those gifts and to use it. What, what I love about, about Rebirth is that for now we're small. So you can make it a wrong chord. <laughs> you can make your mistake. It's a safe place for mistakes. I'm not saying go out there willingly looking for mistakes, <laughs> but I'm saying, should you make a mistake? We all make mistakes. 
there's no, there's no fuss. You'll see Zoe frown at me when I do my own, I forget chords when I'm playing the guitar. <laughs> and I'm like, Lord, please send another guitarist, please send a pianist. I can't do this for much longer. <laughs> but I'm saying, use your gifts and your passions to serve the body of Christ. Amen. Connecting to the local church means that we get to mobilize our efforts to evangelize. We evangelize as part of our lifestyle. But part of being uh, part and parcel of the local church is that we get to put our efforts and ideas and our prayers together to see how we can make more of an impact. Being part of the local church means that you are accountable to a community of faith. You know? For example, if someone hears Roscoe preaching one day, and Roscoe is in the street having an open air, and souls are getting saved, and people want to know, who is this Roscoe? Can we trust him? Is he credible? Because credibility must precede communication. You know, there must be a measure of trust involved here. So they can trace, do an ITC check and say, okay, Roscoe belongs to this community. Let's go ask his pastor. Let's go ask the leader. What kind of reputation? What kind of person is Roscoe? No, he's loving, he's kind. He likes to pass around his CDs. <laughs> Roscoe's my cousin, my young, he hated to share his music. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It also means being accountable and having a covering also means that you're in a community where you can be corrected. That does not mean that the pastor is beyond correction. The pastor is subject to correction, submitting one to another. So if I offend you or anyone in the leadership, you are free, and I'm saying this now for the record, this is recorded, you are free to come and say, hey, Evan, what you said was wrong. I did share my CDs when I was young. <laughs> you know, this is the kind of spirit and culture we must nurture in the house of God. We must be able to lovingly speak uh, the truth. Okay, not condescendingly, but for the sake of edification. Amen. Amen. Every local church is distinct and different in its culture and its protocols in its gracings and giftings, in its leadership style. That's why there's so many expressions of the local church. Everyone has a distinct mandate while all fall under the Great Commission. Okay. The messages sometimes have a different slant, but overall our responsibility is to preach the full counsel of God. To talk about rebirth, our mission, our vision is to advance the kingdom of God for the glory of God. Our mission is to co-labor with Christ, to win the lost, to grow the believer, and to raise up ministry teams and to send them out. We have seven pillars in our church, which are seven values that we hold fast to. Firstly, we are and we must be a house of prayer. Yeah. Bottom line, 
If we're not praying, we're straying. If the pastor is not praying, the pastor's playing. We must give first attention to prayer and intercession for our leaders in government, for our community, for our churches, for one another. We must be a praying people. Period. When we were strategizing, we were talking about all night prayer. You know, I saw the worry in some of our eyes. How are we going to do this? How are we going to pray? <laughs> but I long that we get back to that place as a community of faith, as a church, that we get back to praying through the night. We have our, our, meeting, our meetings, uh, we're having it in a couple of months again, Hop and Bowl. Hop and Bowl is like a kind of uh, meeting where we just focus on worship and intercession. No preaching, just worship and intercession. Comes from the scripture in Revelations, which speaks about the angels that had the harp in one hand and the bowl of incense in the other, which represents the, the prayers of the saints. So the angel had the harp, which speaks of worship. And the angel had the bowl in one hand, which speaks of the prayer of the saints. Okay. And this helps to encourage the spirit of prayer in our, in our fellowship. Not only, only must we be a house of prayer, but we must be a society of Bereans. Scripture says that the Bereans were more noble than those in Corinth and Macedonia because whatever Paul preached, they went home, they searched their Bibles to see whether Paul was talking nonsense or not, <laughs> whether it's actually in the scriptures. Okay. In the early age of the Reformation, if you know the old history of, of church, um, the church came through a thousand year period um, where the Roman Catholic Church was, was the seat of power. And Martin Luther, who was, was a, a monk of the Roman Catholic, broke away from the Roman Catholic Church, nailed his 95 theses to the Gutenberg Church chapel door, and they brought him to court and they were about to literally chop off his head. And they asked him, what's the basis for your reasoning? And he would cry out over and over again, sola scriptura, sola scriptura, scripture only. Scripture must be the foundation for faith and practice, okay? We must become a people who love to study the word, Bring your Bible, take your notes, join in on our Tuesday devotions. Whenever we have meetings, conferences, please bring along your Bible. I was excited to hear that the youth had um, a Bible quiz. And, and it's the weird thing that I see in youth, nobody brings Bibles to you. <laughs> Can our kids start bringing Bibles to youth? You carry that book when you're young, it will carry you when you're old. Amen. You? That book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from that book. How shall a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed according to the word of the Lord? We must become a society of Bereans. We must be a Samaritan outreach. We must not become so proud and arrogant and so self-consumed that we don't see the needs of others. Okay? And we can start small. We can start, we can start in a house of faith. If you are unemployed, let us know what's your expertise. Let us know how we can help. 
don't go home after after service hungry and not eat okay let us know how we can help you meet basic basic needs and sometimes the needs are right here on our doorstep this is the kind of culture we want to encourage that we all helping one another but if we help you find a job don't go <laughs> don't go must represent I'll be fertile, okay? You just work hard, okay? <laughs> work hard, okay? We must become a society of, of, uh, of Bereans, a house of prayer, Samaritan outreach. We must become fishers of men. Amen? Amen. We must become fishers of men because following Jesus is a fishy business. <laughs> following Jesus is a fishy business. If you are afraid to be that bold witness, you know, you get some guys that want to have an open air every week, you know, <laughs> every Saturday having open air, open, you know. There's so many ways you can skin the cat. You have colleagues at work. There are people everywhere going through so much. You can be a, an Andrew. Just say, hey, come to church. You can send an email, you know. You can, you can, now and again, Jesus said, use filthy lucre. Now and again, buy someone a meal, just out of courtesy. Say, hey, here we go. Uh, I, I told a story before of uh, Tony Coppola. Maybe let me know if I'm overdoing it on time. Uh, Tony Coppola, uh, he's preaching at a, at a conference. And he gets to a restaurant. And while he's at the restaurant, at the uh, diner, he overhears a conversation behind him. And it's prostitutes prostitutes behind him having a conversation and the and the one lady is saying look I've never had a birthday cake I've never celebrated no one's ever celebrated my my birthday and it just kind of struck him and when they left he went up to the barman or the or the waiter and I was like these ladies how often do they come here no they come in every day this time every day this time like clockwork he said, he said, okay, look, it's this lady's birthday tomorrow. I'd like to throw a birthday party for her. Um, is that fine? Just take all the place out. Can we have a birthday cake? Blah, blah, blah. He makes all the arrangements. Next day comes through. And this lady walks in with a, with a team. <laughs> she walks in and lo and behold, surprise, a birthday party. She starts crying, mascara everywhere. You know, uh, he going home and <laughs> she is crying hysterically, she's sobbing. And then Tony Coppola goes off, he signs the check. It was a few years ago, so he's still, there's still checks. He signed the check and as he passed to Tony Coppola. And everybody looks like the waiter, like, are you telling me that I passed it through a party for, pardon the expression, for a whore, as the term he used? Show me where that church is. I will go there. <laughs> now and again, you see someone with an old jalopy struggling in a McDonald's queue. Pay the bill. Pay the bill. Or someone's struggling with sense in the, in the, by the toilet in front of you. Pay the bill. It sometimes triggers conversation. And it gives you a chance to be a witness. Okay. And don't make the mistake people are making now with evangelism. Don't, don't evangelize for the church. Don't say, hey, I'm from Rebirth. 
because people come to if you if, if you present the church the, the church is flawed they'll come in and say what music is this i only listen to uh afrikaans what do you call them call keys <laughs> where's the call keys okay and and people get despondent and discouraged no it's not for me okay the pastor uses high english <laughs> but I, what i'm saying is present christ first you present christ whether they come to the church or not, it's not our business our business is to share the gospel amen Okay, where was I? Okay. We must be a family of disciples. I'm going to say it again. Our sixth pillar, our fifth pillar is that we must be a family of disciples. What do I mean by that? Jesus said, by this you will know that you are my disciples. You have love one for another. Okay, discipleship speaks of growth, maturity. Um, and so when we get to that place of maturity and if we're striving to be disciples, we must first learn the most important universal law in scripture is love love your neighbor as you love yourself love the lord your god with all your heart and soul the deacon who loves most is greater than the bishop who loves least love is the key love is our greatest weapon so when people come through these doors or when people meet us in the street we must first and foremostly love amen. amen six point we must become a worshipers retreat we must be devoted to worship and the worship of god alone and we must try and keep our worship pure especially especially on at our services i can tell you some horror stories but i won't <laughs> I'll reserve you the, the agony. <laughs> I'll spare you the agony. But we must keep our worship pure. Okay? And how someone worships next to you is their worship might be totally different to the way you worship. But we must respect each other's worship. Amen. And lastly, we must be a prophetic company. A prophetic company. My marked my my life and my journey is has been marked by by the prophetic. You are here as a fulfillment of the prophetic. As a kid, prophetic words confirming, Bevan, you will lead, you lead the church, blah, blah, blah. And to such details where someone said you'll be a red carpet. You know? That's how uh, prophetic ministry has marked my life. Uh, even during transition, um, when we moved over to, to Pastor B's fellowship. Hey, I'll tell you a story now. <laughs> <laughs> we go to Jesus the Rock. I received the prophecies that confirmed our transition from one ministry into the, into the next. And no one knew a thing. I went right down to Kaiserin and someone just pointed me out and said, this is, this is what you're going through. And he described in details and he says, Bevan, you are like a, a moth trap in the cocoon. The Lord says, don't stay in the cocoon, go out. And the Lord led us to Jesus the Rock. When we got there, Pastor B, I think for the first few weeks he preached and he says hey Bevan I want to take a sabbatical now in my mind a sabbatical is like a, for a month but so he took a sabbatical for two years <laughs> he let me preach for two whole years Sunday morning stuff and the people were like hey, are you still our pastor <laughs> and so we that's where Zuway got to lead for the first time you know that's where I learned the greatest lessons about preaching at Jesus the Rock 
there were days I, I, still, I didn't even have a message, like, I don't want to go to church. <laughs> so I said, babe, okay, we're just going to go a few minutes late, and I'm going to sit at the back, right at the back, you know. And so we creep in at the back, you know. I don't like to sit at the back, guys. You should sit more forward when you're coming. You know? In the Old Testament, when the judgment came, the fire started from the back. <laughs> so I sat at the back, and I'm like, hey, babe, okay. The pastor B hasn't seen me, no one's seen me, my Liz hasn't seen me. So we sit in the back. And, and this means for like, we're three, three years. Eh? Like, I, I sat at the back, and then Pastor B just starts looking, and I had not a message, not a scripture. I was dry, you know, empty panel, dry, dry, dry. You'll get to experience this soon, some of you preachers. <laughs> dry, 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 dry. And Pastor B looked around, and he looked straight right back, and he saw me, and he went like that. And it was that moment I needed to go up to the pulpit. So I said to my wife, this is going to be the quickest sermon prep I've ever done in my life. From the pew to the pulpit, I sermon prepped. And in the way I said after, I sound like you are prepared. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost. <laughs> okay. We must become a house of prayer, society of Bereans, a worshippers retreat a prophetic company, fishers of men, and family of disciples. Um, just a few more things, and then we're going to get into our uh, last part of the service. This is the kind of culture, the culture I want, and I hope some of you don't, honestly don't get offended. <laughs> um, I don't want us to be hung up on titles. For those of you who know me, every time someone says, Pastor Bevan, I literally cringe. <laughs> I love you guys. Um, if you feel the Lord has instructed you or, you know, the Lord says, no, you, you give this guy this kind of deal. It's fine. Continue. But I prefer that you call me Bevan. Or Bev. <laughs> or Bev Meister. I honestly, I honestly prefer it, okay? Uh, if you... No, no offense, but if you still insist on calling me, that's fine, okay? I really love you and prefer for you to call me Bevan, okay? Uh, for the simple reason that I, I feel, you know, when we join the church, when you join the local church, you automatically counter culture. You, you counter the culture, okay? And it's possible to give someone respect without putting a title in front of their name. And you will never, if you search the scriptures, you will never find a title in front of a name, Paul the Apostle, because it was a function, except when it came to Christ. Christ was his title, Christ Jesus, okay? That's why if we have visitors, visiting preachers, apostles, prophets, we refer to them by their titles, okay? But for our culture and protocols, I don't mind you calling me by my first name. Is that fine? Yeah. Okay. Okay. No, untramp on the landmine. <laughs> okay. Secondly, the kind of culture I want to create is that rebirth must not just be a hospital for the saints. Okay. We must become an army base. Okay. Yeah. So in other words, this is not a cruise ship. Yes, we do nice things. We do Mother's Day. We do Father's Day. It's nice stuff, but... We must become a battleship, you know, an army base. 
And sometimes when you're in war, you get shot, but you carry on fighting. <laughs> and a lot of us up here are wounded soldiers. We, we bleed from a lot of sides. My wife probably had two hours sleep last night. We're in a war at home with those kids. <laughs> it's rough. And now and again, you might hear me murmur and say, ah, these kids are finished us. And many of us are going through such trying and testing times, you know. So we come here and we put on our big girl panties, our big boy pants, and we get our praise on, despite what we go through. Paul was in prison when he wrote four epistles. They had beaten him. He bore the mark, more marks on his body than Christ. That's what he said. Okay, they flogged him three, three times with a cat and nine tails. And they beat him five times with a, with, with a rod. Okay. But in prison, he's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Okay, I want us to become militant. Put on the whole armor of God, like Ephesians says. Amen. This house must become a safe place for everyone. Uh, in the sense that, you know, if you're going through stuff, don't let us find out years later, like years later, say, ah, we could have been there to support you, you know? We could have been there to encourage you. If you, if you, if you get a new job or promotion, let us know we want to celebrate with you. We want to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who rejoice. So let there be communication, you know, transparency, don't be shy. You know, communication is key for any relationship, okay? I, I guess now I'm speaking to those joining <laughs> the, the vision formally this morning. Feel free to question, ask, inquire. If you have any grievances, more than welcome to say, hey, Bev, I think this could have been done better. You could have said this this way, okay? Consistency, now that you are joining the family, is also key. Consistency is currency, family. I know sometimes the weather out there says, ah, Netflix, you know, ah, Showmax. But you'll never know what miracle awaits for you by just simply showing up. Even when your body don't feel like it. Because I bet you show up for work even when you don't feel like it. <laughs> and worship is work. Can I say that again? Worship is work. Did you see God give uh, Adam and Eve a guitar? No. He said work. Worship is work. Okay. Show up, support the meetings, support the vision. Contribution is also key. Uh, some of you are nervous, some of you are offering. No. Say contribute your skills, contribute your gifts. Okay. Not just of your substance, of your finances, okay, but also of your gifts. But don't neglect the other, okay? The gospel is free, but it's not cheap to, to spread it. <laughs> okay. Okay, so let's give God our pockets too. Secondly, I want to say that um, be patient with us, okay? Nobody, when you start a building project, gets impatient when you see the foundation laid. Yeah. Nobody says, I'm done. Ah, this job, ah, just the foundation. No. 
we're going somewhere. Be patient with us, okay? I know there's no air cons, I know there's no huge facilities, no teams we can swap out, you know? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not wearing a bishop's robe. <laughs> I'm saying be, be patient. Just like how the Holy Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit is patience and long-suffering. God is so patient with us. We gotta bear a measure of patience to others, okay? Uh, be patient with some of us. Some of us are doing offering talks for the first time and announcements. Some of us are even preaching for the first time. Be patient. We are people helping people. Bottom line. To find God and growing God. Okay. And the last thing I think I want to say is that ministry is not just about uprooting. It's also about planting. Okay. God told Jeremiah, you will uproot and you will plant. You will break down and you will build. So, sometimes we like to be diagnostic. We are good at finding the issues and the problems. We are good at being critics from the, from the audience stand. But, it takes a special kind of character and heart to decide, I'm going to build. I'm not just going to find the, find the fault and see the gap and point of vulnerability. I'm going to say, okay, how can I help and make this better? You know? Or how can I pray towards it if it's not your skill? How can I pray about this? Okay. So ministry must have not just the negative slant, but also the positive slant. There's no point in just tearing down if you're not going to build also. Okay. And so we've got to have that balance and we've got to be builders. Amen. People of action. I'm done. Zway has given me the cue. <laughs> I am done. So can I welcome, first of all, before I welcome,